It's official. One Shining Podcast is back, and I am your host, Tate Frazier. And as March Madness begins, we're covering everything from Selection Sunday all the way to the championship and beyond. We're going to have great guests that are coming through on the show. And look, if you're a friend of the program and you're already subscribed, you don't have to do anything. OSP is back. It's going to be right back in your feed. And if you're not a friend of the program and this is your first time on the rodeo, then let me tell you this. You need to go to Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts and smash subscribe today because the OSP show is back. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older, 18 and older in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. Hello, and welcome to this super special edition of the Ringer NBA show. I'm your host for the day, Ringer senior staff writer Michael Vapadina, and I'm joined on the other line by my good friend CBS Sports' very own James Herbert. James, how are you doing on this glorious Friday morning? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So there's so much going on in the NBA right now. The Bucks are on a 16-game winning streak. Kevin Durant is throwing fireballs in a Suns uniform. The MVP conversation is getting ugly in my Twitter mentions. But with only about 20 games left before the playoffs start, on today's episode, I thought it would be fun for you and I to ask and answer some important questions about the stretch run. What's so fun about this season is just the big picture unpredictability that underlines everything. There are injuries. There are huge trades. There's questionable I underline and stress questionable buyout signings and so much feels unsettled. So let's try and settle it, James. Can I kick us off with the question that is on everyone's mind right now? Are you about to just like go at Dwayne Dedman or something right now? James, are the Lakers dead? What do you think? (laughs) I guess it depends. Like at what point does the life stop for a season? Like is like, is there consciousness dependent on them having a chance to like win a playoff series or like compete for a championship or make the playoffs. You could like draw the line a bunch of different places. I mean, I didn't think even before LeBron went down that this team had much of a shot to do anything serious. I thought they were more balanced. I liked uh, 
kind of the way the pieces fit better after the deadline and all of that. I think the team is better equipped now to deal with LeBron's absence than it than it would have been if they hadn't made the trade that they made at the deadline. So like, I don't actually know that my answer would be that different today than it was a couple of weeks ago. That like their odds of getting there are lower. But like that's still like conceivable they could get in the play-in. And if LeBron is back by the play-in, like maybe they can get into the playoffs. I just think they're kind of drawing dead after that. And yeah, I want to see what they kind of look like the next little while. They're playing a lot of teams that are in the very similar position to them in the next few weeks. They have like two games against the Rockets before the season ends. But other than that, pretty much every game is against a team that's either fighting for playoff positioning or play-in positioning. D'Lo is hurt. Like Anthony Davis just had to miss the second game of a back-to-back kind of out of nowhere. And then Darvin Ham claimed that they had been planning this for weeks. I don't know. If LeBron is out, they need everybody else. And they don't even have everybody else right now. So I'm not feeling like super optimistic about them right now. But like I wasn't before either. I think they're dead. They have such a soft schedule that you kind of touched on going forward. According to Tankathon, they have the second easiest schedule for the rest of the season. They have 10 games at home this month, only four on the road, which is helpful. Jared Vanderbilt is Dennis Rodman now. And we both love him. He had 17 rebounds in that massive comeback against the Dallas Mavericks last week in 27 minutes. Just absolutely ridiculous stuff. I just think that, you know, I I, like I I understand that when a star goes out like LeBron, that teams are able to mentally prepare for something like that. And you can tread water and they have some talented pieces now, especially if Anthony Davis is healthy and playing every game and playing at least 35, 36 minutes a night. He had a really good February. But like treading water and being average, you're in 11th place and you've got the Blazers, a team that really wants to win and has incentive to win for a variety of reasons right behind you. You have every team above you wants to make the playoffs or make the play in and except maybe the jazz, you could say the jazz, but like the jazz are just like a competent bunch, even still after making the moves that they made at the trade deadline. So like, even if they were to get the 10 seed or the ninth seed in the play-in winning two play-in games against like a quality team, like the West, those teams at the bottom, like Zion is potentially going to come back. Like the Pelicans are really good. Brandon Ingram is playing unbelievable basketball of late. I just, I, I just think they're dead. Like I, like the best case scenario is that the nine or the 10 seed, I think. And having to win two play-in games, to get to the playoffs. And then once that happens, you're, what are you going to, you're going up against the Denver Nuggets or the Memphis Grizzlies in yeah. round one? Like, what are you, are you beating them? No, of course not. So like dead, I think they're dead. That's I like that you answer. brought up the Pelicans because I think they're an interesting contrast here and that they're in sort of similar positions, right? Like they have Zion Williamson out. We don't know exactly what's going on there, but they at least seem to be kind of trending upward right mm-hmm. now. And like, we have seen this team, I mean, even like last year's Pelicans team, while on balance, they were better that year without Zion than they've been without Zion this year. Like we've seen like a pretty similar group play really well without Zion Williamson for a long stretch. And my sort of optimism level for like what the, that team could be should he come back and also like who they are without him 
is just on a different level than it is for the Lakers, where like I can envision a best case scenario for the Lakers where they're in the play-in and LeBron is back and playing, but I just don't really see much upside after that. Whereas the Pelicans, I kind of think like anything can happen. Like I, I still have kind of fuzzy feelings about the Pelicans team pre-Zion injury and how much fun they were to watch really early in the season. And that at that point, like when they're playing their best basketball, they didn't have Ingram. So there's mm-hmm. like secret upside there that we haven't even quite seen. Right. You could make the argument the Lakers have that too, just because this group is so new and isn't whole right now. But I just don't know that the talent is quite the same. I don't know that the pieces kind of fit quite as well. And there's just a whole different kind of pressure there that is different. And I'm not, you know, I, I just, I guess if I'm trying to twist myself into like some sort of like positive feeling about this team, it's like, let, let, let's see what AD can do now. Because at times they've been short stretches, but the stretches have taken place he has played like an MVP candidate and now they just like desperately need that from him every night and I do mean every night Mm -hmm. the rest of the way if they're going to actually make up some ground here you got a question for me now yeah let's go will the Bucks make me look incredibly stupid (laughs) (laughs) you need to elaborate for the listeners who don't know what that means the last time you and I talked on this particular platform. I made a prediction that at some point in the calendar year of 2023, like Bucks panic would come back. So we would be talking about sort of similar things that we were talking about when the Bucks were like down in that playoff series against the Nets. Like, oh, like can this team's half court offense do anything? Like, does Giannis need different sort of playmaking next to him? What like Budenholzer will receive some like serious criticism. Basically, like there will be some sort of existential crisis for the franchise again. Part of that is because when they've looked not at their best this year, it's been for similar reasons as in years past, like like namely the half court offense, and also because like Chris Middleton's heading toward free agency. It's sort of uncertain where this team is going in a post Middleton, post Brook Lopez world, whenever that maybe. And I think there'll be some serious questions if they lose earlier than people expect this year. Now, since then, they have become the hottest team in the NBA. They didn't lose in February. They're doing this despite the fact Middleton is still like coming off the bench, not playing huge minutes. So there's like even more upside theoretically on the offensive end. I still have some questions about what, how this is all going to end for them. I mean, they're still in February, like the 12th best offense in the NBA. I've liked the Joe Ingles edition. That's probably like the guy I watch most closely when I watch them. He's interesting. He changes them from who they were in the past. Their half-court offense has been like way, way, way better with him on the court this year than when he's on the bench. So maybe they just lean on that. They lean on Middleton a little more, increases his minutes and everything is fine. And they like, you know, get to the finals, maybe win another championship, all of that. But I I still kind of like, I think they're going to face some very stiff competition. And when Ingles is playing a big role, like, Teams just gonna be like, all right, come here. We're 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 going at you, and we'll see how they kind of cover for him. So, will the Bucks make you look stupid? Was the question right? Yes, pretty much. I don't. I don't. I mean, obviously, they look tremendous, right? Mm-hmm. Like you've laid out all the reasons why Giannis is one of the best players in the world. I just really like. The flexibility that, that they have now with Jay Crowder too. Ingles, Jay Crowder, yeah. a lot of size on the wing. You can play small if you need to, which is something that 
they did when they won the title with PJ Tucker, who they let go because they were a cheap organization, which we never forget over here. And, you know, they played this lineup against the Magic that was like Grayson Allen. I'm blanking. It was like a very, it was like three white guys. Giannis so at the five. Okay. Yes, Pat Connaughton. Yes, I'm totally blanking for some reason. And it basically, Giannis was at the five with three white guys. And I think Crowder was at the four. It was just like a really interesting unit that I think can be effective in the type of unit that you can go to in a playoff series in a pinch for a little bit if you need some scoring. And their offense, as you said, even through this winning streak, is 13th or 12th or 14th or something in yeah, the I was NBA. Going, cleaning Glass had them at 12th in February. Okay, NBA had them at 13th. So yeah. that's, you know, that's going to be an interesting one in the playoffs, and it is every year for them. I think at the end of the day, like, are they going to make you look stupid is an interesting question, but are they, Mike, actually one of the questions that I wanted to ask you was who's going to finish in first in the Eastern conference? Because yeah. I, I think that whoever has home court, I think it's critical, honestly. And I believe the Celtics, you know, obviously a huge reason why that they, they beat the Bucks last year, in addition to Chris Middleton not playing was having that game seven at home. I don't know if Grant Williams has that type of performance in Milwaukee. Maybe he does. I don't know, but that's just significant with these teams when you're kind of splitting hairs between them. And so like right now, the Bucks are in first place by a hair. And what do you think about just these two kind of coming down the stretch here with like just first place really matters. And I think that basketball reference, their projection system gives the Celtics 55% chance of finishing in first. So a slight lead, but I mean, the bucks just look great. Like drew holiday. I kind of laughed when he made the all-star team and I, I regret doing that a little bit. I mean, he's just been absolutely tremendous, like an unstoppable offensive player over this stretch. And obviously the defense is the defense and their defense has just been absolutely dominant in first mm-hmm. place. So who, who's coming in first? I think I, I agree with you that it matters. I, I still kind of lean the Celtics, but I mean, we, we got to see like which team is like going for it more like historically, you know, the Bucks don't want to play their guys too many minutes in the regular season. The Celtics have also, you know, they have rested guys throughout the year. They have been pretty conservative when it comes to managing nagging injuries and the like. We'll we'll kind of see. I think Chris Middleton's minutes like on, on the Bucks end, some like that's a stat to kind of manage as they're going down the stretch to see how serious they are. Maybe they don't even think they need to bring them up though, the way that they're playing. We gotta gotta see them struggle a bit before I think they're going to consider making a big change there or ramping up faster than they're they're planning to. But yeah, I mean, I I still, like, there's something about just the balance that the Celtics have, the depth that the Celtics have. I just have fewer questions about them in general. So I would probably pick them, honestly, like, I agree the home court matters, but, like, I still would probably pick the Celtics in a series against them regardless. For the record, I would too, but I just wanted to be nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but... Yeah, I mean the way the Bucks are playing right now. It I I again, like they just I I feel like I felt like an idiot when they won the title. I I 
am primed to feel like an idiot again when there's no existential crisis and they potentially knock off the Celtics in a playoff series because I've just kind of like watching the Celtics all year. I just see fewer weaknesses. I see fewer holes. I see like a direct response to the way that they went out last year. Not to say that the Bucks haven't learned from like their kind of low points in the past. I think they obviously have. Like you can see the way they changed their defense a little bit this season in terms of the, the shot profile. You can see in terms of the kind of players that they brought in even. Mm-hmm. Crowder was, I think, a necessary addition for them to like I think their chances of beating the Celtics are much better with 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 Crowder on this roster than than without him. I think they needed that size. They needed that toughness. They needed another forward that can hang defensively and make threes. You can, you know, Put the ball the a shooting. little bit and do all that. But like, like I, I, yeah. His shooting is going to be critical in that series. And and they've just like obviously they missed the the PJ Tucker archetype. I don't know that he is quite like let's say they get to the finals and they're going up against his former team. I don't know that he is hounding Kevin Durant quite as well as PJ Tucker did in that Brooklyn series a, a few years ago. But like more broadly speaking, I think he he kind of fits in that that hole that PJ Tucker's departure left the Bucks with a couple of years ago. Yes, I agree with all of that. So James, my next question for you is one that I think might derail this entire podcast, but I just have to it's just on my mind and has been we were texting about it last night and to put it plainly, will Los Angeles Clippers head coach Ty Lue ever figure out his rotation, i.e. will he pull Russell Westbrook out of the starting lineup and either limit his minutes or take him out of the rotation altogether? I think that this question is just like, as someone who picked the Clippers to win the championship, who for whatever reason, even as I'm watching them just get absolutely shellacked in the second half by the Warriors last night, still have faith in their ability to do so. Like, this is just a paramount question. And I I was a believer that bringing in Westbrook would be kind of a no harm, no foul decision as long as you followed certain caveats. Like, don't start him. Don't finish him. Don't finish with him. Don't play him with other non-shooters. Don't have him logging more minutes than, like, Four of your best players. <laughs> and like Tyler's just gone against all of these, broken all of them. Like he's he's yep. he's started in the he started all four games, throwing four in all of them. He's playing with Mason Plumley. He's playing more minutes than Eric Gordon and Norm Powell and Nick Batum and Terrence Mann. It's just like, what are like I, I you listen to Draymond Green after that Warriors game and he's just describing the strategy of, hey, we're not going to guard Russell Westbrook when he's on the perimeter, which is what will happen in the playoffs. And last night, you go up against a championship-level defense, which is what the Warriors can still be. And that's what it looks like. It's horrendous. They scored, like, what, 87 points or something like that? And they were not good when Russell was on the bench either, so whatever. But that was mostly because Norm Powell like was just barfing up all over the court and... They missed finished. open threes. Like, yes, yeah. yes. So I, I just think that this is a really, really, really significant question. I don't know if everyone agrees with that because there's a lot of people who just don't believe in the Clippers and that's fine. I do. And I think this is like self-sabotage to the 10th degree. And I, I'm very, very curious to see we're recording this on Friday morning. I'm very curious to see if 
what Russell Westbrook's role is tonight against the Sacramento Kings. I, I don't know. It's just, it's just like a really worrisome situation already. Yeah. It's, I want to be fair to Westbrook. I mean, until last night, I don't think he'd had a straight up bad game. I think he has basically played the role that they wanted him to play. Like he pushes the pace. He like gets in the paint. He creates shots. I mean, he's created shots at the rim for big guys. He's created threes for for other players. I think sometimes like maybe this is a stretch, but sometimes I've seen the Clippers, like other guys on the Clippers, like getting into the offense a little bit faster, pushing after made baskets a little bit because it feels like there's been a team-wide kind of effort to stop being so damn slow. Now that they have Russ on the team that's been just emphasized, people are kind of following his lead in that respect, hasn't been 100% bad. But like they've been bad when he's been on the floor and he has hurt the spacing as you would expect. It was to an extreme degree last night. I mean, that was insane. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it, was, it was laughable. And, you know, he they have some defensive issues, too. My my Clippers question was going to be, will the Clippers ever stop being so damn frustrating? Because I think for people like you and me who have not just written them off, like we see that upside and then we see them kind of mess around. And I think defensively. You know, we could count on at the beginning of the season when you had no idea who was going to be in the lineup, but you're pretty sure Kawhi Leonard was not going to be. You had no idea what the offense was going to look like from night to night. Like, you could actually count on them being a really good defensive team. Like, they were they were an elite defensive team for a long time this season. And for the last, like, 20 games or so, the numbers say they've been an awesome offensive team. The defense has been kind of bad. And that is strange. And they have all the pieces to be a good defensive team. Russell Westbrook, in theory, is a fine switch defender because he is strong. He can kind of like, you know, you watch him against a bigger guy and he can be physical and all of that. But the the problem is like, while they have like the theoretical pieces to to do all of that, like guys just get blowbys against this team. There are miscommunications on switches all the time, like especially off the ball. Like Russell Westbrook is not the most like fundamentally sound defender in the world. And the way that he is as a defender where it's like he looks like it should be good and he has the physicality to do it. He can like in theory, like you switch him and it's okay. Like that is kind of a metaphor for like the whole Clippers team right now. It's like they just should be better on defense. The communication should be better. Obviously, like they've been missing Zubots like for most of this stretch. That is some rim protection. They don't have a lot behind him. Like Mason Who's Plumley, arguably their third most important player, even maybe. with Plumley. Yeah. yeah, I mean Plumley, like love the guy. The way he vertically contests at the rim, like very fundamentally sound, solid. Has been doing this for like a decade. Whatever. Not the most imposing guy down there. He he brings some size, but it's kind of not the same. Like I I. I think there is some upside here, but they just desperately need to find what they had going before the the Russ pickup. Like they had, they seemed to be working towards something. They had an identity. The rotation was actually like almost set in stone to a degree that some Clippers fans were being frustrated by some of their favorite players, like not even getting a chance. Like Luke Kennard, who had shot so well for them 
all year and some games were just not even getting on the court because Ty Lue was just like, let me try to get some continuity and consistency with this group. We finally have it and it's working. It's working on both ends. Everybody seems comfortable. Covington was sitting there like, hello, I'm a competent NBA player. I can like do a bunch of stuff. I can like protect the rim even though I'm 6'7". Please let me play basketball. And Tyler was like, nope, like we, we have our group. Now Covington's still sitting there, but like they're not playing that well and they seem like they don't know who they are. And that sucks because there was this like tiny period of time when it seemed like they didn't know who they were. We are both Terrence Mann guys. I know that. And like the fact that he isn't playing more is driving me crazy. The fact that Batum isn't playing more is driving me crazy. And it's not all about Russ. There's some other stuff going on. But I think the Russ acquisition has had a lot of like downstream effects that have all been really bad. I think if they win those first two games, which were toss-up games, and he played he played well in them. He yeah. like he didn't even struggle. Like he really bought into the role. He was disciplined. He wasn't hijacking the offense. He wasn't turning it over. He was pushing the pace. It's really funny. Like their pace this season with him on the floor is 108 and regularly it's 98. It's just like yeah. a completely the the they play just so different when he's on the court. And those are in ways that are positive for them and what they needed. But their offense is also just like terrible when he's on the court. It's the worst offense in the NBA, despite a lot of those minutes coming with Kawhi and Paul George beside him. I mean, I generalize this question more about the rotation than Russ. I know he was kind of penciled in there as well, just kind of shoved in. But like, why doesn't Nick Batum play more minutes? Why doesn't he start? I don't under, I, I, no I just don't, I don't get it. Like, why is Marcus Morris just here, this placeholder starting for who doesn't close games on a regular basis? And when he does, it's like a disaster. Like, I, I just, I, I don't really, I don't really get that one. That's curious to me. Terrence Mann, who was the starting point guard, had a lot of value on the defensive end for them. And when they were in, New York, Ty Lue spoke about that. He just, he loved the looks that they were able to give defensively, particularly with how it freed up Kawhi Leonard off ball. He's their, maybe their best rebounder, one of their best rebounders. He can just like roam and trap the box and protect the rim and just do all these things like be in passing lanes. Same with Paul George. So you take that away. And I mean, you look at like Jordan Poole in the third quarter last night when Russell Westbrook was his man was just like, uh, it's it like disaster. It's like ridiculous. Like Paul George is just looking at him and like with his palms up multiple times. Like what happened? Why is he wide open? What is going on? So I don't know. I still believe in this team like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I just, I don't, I don't know. Like if they, this, this Westbrook thing, like after the Timberwolves loss, where it's like the Timberwolves were in a really bad place going into that game. The Clippers are healthy. Clippers are at home. And Anthony Edwards doesn't even play well. And you lose that game. And Westbrook in the fourth quarter in the last like three minutes is doing a lot of stuff. And I'm like, what is going on? Eric Gordon plays seven minutes in that game. I just, that was just like really frustrating for me. And then for just to watch the second half last night, it was just with the lead. They blew like a double digit lead at halftime, I think. So they were cruising. I mean, they weren't yeah. making shots in the first half either, but they were like, the defense looked better. I mean, maybe the Warriors were just missing shots. Maybe that's all it was. And we were just fooled by it. But it seemed like they were cruising toward a win. And then I just, I got like 
like bad Rockets vibes. Like I got Rockets vibes from like two different, this is going to break your heart, two different sort of iterations of, of the James Harden Rockets losing. One was when they missed the like 27 threes in a row because the Clippers had their own like extremely long cold streak. And mm-hmm. the second was like, the the following year when Durant went out and the Warriors just like Warriors them to death with their offense and they were just like you know a second late like one little mistake and then it was a basket and it's like the Clippers you're watching them on defense and it's like okay like they're they're matched up everything's fine oh no one little thing ba- basket wide open shot layup and it's what you think like, which loss do you think is more painful for Rockets fans today oh the 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 one like game seven really come on they I, thought they were, I, I kind of disagree so. no because if i was a rockets fan i would look at that game and i would always be like look man like chris paul was hurt didn't play in this game we had all these open looks we just missed them we were right there like give us an asterisk but the other loss is just like oh my god like we just weren't as good like like this team is just clearly better than us. <laughs> and like, we have something wrong, like fundamentally with us. And this was a waste of everyone's time. That's how I feel about that loss. I was at, I agree, but that's why the first one would bother me more. If I were a Rockets fan, because it was like, <laughs> that's the one where they like could have won the championship and they believe they should have. I think a lot of them do. Whereas this, the other one, it's like, well, I mean, look, I, they were <laughs> just played way better. I know it's your turn for a question, but since we were just talking about the Warriors, can I ask? My next, my next question one? was Warriors anyway. We're some powder. Oh my Go goodness. Ahead. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, my <laughs> question is just are the Warriors a sleeping giant? Um, yeah. Was that basically yours? Yeah. I mind, I, mine was a little more Gary Payton the second specific, but. All right. We're not doing that. I'm sorry. <laughs> Gary the, no, but the, the idea sense. was. Okay. It was Gary Payton. The second specific, but like the entire idea around it is like when he is back, when they are whole, when it's him and Steph and Wiggins, like, is this just an obvious like championship contender and a team that we should be taking seriously in that respect? Uh, Gary Payton the second or not, and I'm not, I don't mean to be, I'm not wow. disrespecting him at all. Yes, I think you are. he's very good and was important when they won the championship, but I also think that Dante DiVincenzo can like slide into those minutes and the player that you might be needing to replace in the postseason is Otto Porter, but that's a different conversation. What the, the, the fundamental thing that we're both agreeing on is are the Warriors a sleeping giant? That's the question. Yes. Um, I think they are. I look like they've been inconsistent all season. They've lacked poise. They've been terrible on the road. Their defense has come and gone. There are nights when they just don't want to get back in transition. I just like to be the champs, you got to beat the champs, right? Like that's just mm-hmm. what it is. This, the trio, Draymond, Clay, Clay, who, by the way, is making more threes per game than at any point in his career. Just one of the craziest stats, incredible stuff. Clay, Steph, Draymond, that trio. If they're healthy and you have healthy Kavon Looney, healthy Andrew Wiggins, I'm not a Jordan Poole person, but I think he's important a little bit. They will need him (laughs) in the playoffs. (laughs) They will will, complimenting Jordan Poole. (laughs) Just through gritted teeth. Look, like I, I think that 
the way they play and particularly on the defensive end. I mean, I watched the uh, their win against the, the Blazers. I fell asleep at halftime thinking that the Blazers were just going to wash them and woke up the next morning, didn't check the score, watched the second half and was just kind of like, oh my God, the Warriors. Like this is, they're throwing triangle twos at Dame the entire game. And like not many, the teams that can do stuff like that, I just have so much respect for. I think Draymond's still the best help defender in the NBA. Mm -hmm. Steph, before he went down with the first injury in mid-December, was 50-40-4-90 something, averaging 30 points a game. He was an MVP candidate. candidate. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, they're just... Why, like, the fact that they're not now scuffling for the plan, like, if they're the four seed, or the let's say they're the five, five or four seed, like, why can't they win the title? They're like, I'm a huge Denver Nuggets fan. I think they're really good. I think they're much better, obviously, than they were the past two seasons and better equipped for for a postseason run, particularly on the defensive end. But it is like not the greatest matchup for Nikola Jokic. Like I will happily admit that mm-hmm. not happily, but I will admit that. And if you get them in the second round, like I think that would be a really fun series, really competitive. But like, if you were to pick the warriors, especially if they won their first round series against like the Phoenix suns, <laughs> like, um, mm-hmm. sorry, like that's just a formidable team. It just is. And they, you have to beat them and they don't go, they don't beat themselves and they play a style that's wow. just like different from everyone else. So I don't know, like last year going into the postseason, like I don't think a lot of people remember this, but they basically had like no minutes and no encore chemistry with their best lineups. And Steph was coming off the bench in that first round series against the yeah. Nuggets. It just like didn't matter. It's a playoffs. Like these guys are gamers. Like, so I don't think it's Gary Payton the second dependent. He would obviously help if he was healthy and he came back. I just like and respect this team so much. And we both know like the playoffs and the regular season are two different sports. That's mm-hmm. one of the fundamental reasons why I still cling to the Clippers because I think they're constructed for the postseason and not the exactly. regular season. And I feel that way about Golden State Warriors and just like, their mentality and how they lock in and how they focus and how they can adjust and all the different lineups they can play. They're not going to get flustered in any environment in the playoffs versus just like taking nights off in the middle of January. Cause they're in Chicago. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. there's just, they're, they should be terrifying. I think I would not want to play them in a postseason series. I think if you believe in the Clippers or the Warriors, then what you are clinging to is the notion that versatility the ability to make adjustments in between games, the ability to play different styles, find different lineups, all of that stuff, the ability to kind of know how to figure things out in a playoff series matters more than like your regular season track record and numbers and and that kind of thing. And I think you can find support for that. You look at the past few years. I mean, most of the team, like <laughs> all the teams that like have won championships, like they have been great in the regular season too. But I think you have seen, you know, the Warriors last year, as you said, going into the playoffs, a lot of people were sort of like, well, the Suns have earned the right to be the favorites. Like, they're the number one team. You look at their net rating, you look at this, you look at that, and it's like, well, like, when you look at when the Warriors had their guys, 
you look at the beginning of this season, like they were the number one team. Why are we punishing them for like basically getting hurt? Like if they have their guys, they're going to be really good. And that's what it turned out to be. You saw them, you know, make some adjustments throughout the playoffs, shorten their rotations, try different guys in different situations, survive somehow an injury to the like magnificently important Gary Payton II early in the playoffs and bring him back at the best possible time when they needed him to guard your beloved Celtic star wings on the perimeter and pressure them and make the Celtics get into their offense later and all of that. And they end up winning the championship. Look at the Bucks and how... They evolved and played different styles, how the Raptors got better in like every series as they went toward a championship, how the Lakers would somehow, for some reason, at the end of every important series, they'd no longer be like starting Dwight Howard. Like funny how that worked. Like they they figured out what worked. They were just versatile enough to win a championship. I think if you look at the Warriors, like maybe it doesn't matter that their bench was like has been pretty bad numbers wise for most of the season. Maybe it doesn't matter what their numbers are when Steph is not playing because Steph is going to be playing upwards of 40 minutes in must win games because at the beginning of the year, Dante DiVincenzo wasn't super comfortable and now he has a pretty long track record of being really good. The reason why I kind of wanted to talk about Gary Payton the second is because I think in some ways he's exactly what they need. Uh Right. Like he is just like they need, they've needed depth. They've needed more defensive versatility. DiVincenzo is, I think he's, he's fit in as well as everybody thought. He's such a smart player. He does a lot of things for them in terms of just like lockdown one on one defense. Like it just, it's not the same thing. And GP2, I think, is unlike almost anyone in the NBA in, in, in that respect. Like he's elite among the elite of one on one, like just point of attack defenders. I am interested, though, to see how it works and what the lineups all look like because they haven't had him and because a lot of the ways that they were able to sort of unlock him last year was to play him next to Otto Porter, to play him next to Nemanja Bielitsa, neither of whom is still on the team. So I think they're probably going to have to use him in smaller lineups than they did last year where he is functionally kind of the big and he's next to either Draymond or Looney. And then, like, next to them, you have, like, Steph and Wiggins and Poole or Steph and Wiggins and DiVincenzo or whatever. And it's just a little bit of a smaller look than they had last year. Maybe that works in some matchups. Maybe it doesn't work in others. So I, I think he can really help, but I think it might look a little bit different than it than it did last year. Yeah, I think if you just look at their rotation and their roster generally, I think I feel pretty confident in their top seven through a playoff run. And then you're just kind of looking for that eighth guy is a Kaminga. Maybe do you need nine guys? Probably. Okay. So then you have Kaminga and you have GP two, and then you're kind of set, right? Like I, so yeah, I, I just, I, I like the warriors a lot. The NBA season is heating up, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and threes drained. Okay, so one spread tonight that I have my eye on that I suggest is the Phoenix Suns are giving three and a half points to the Chicago Bulls. The Phoenix Suns, uh, 
have Kevin Durant on them, in case you've heard. And I anticipate that offense just going ballistic, even though the Bulls have been really good and stout over the past few weeks. Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, even in limited minutes, Chris Paul, just a really uh, effective, explosive offense. So that's that's got to be my pick that I would suggest for Friday night. So don't miss the chance to get your no sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to fanduel.com slash ringer NBA. That's fanduel.com slash ringer NBA to learn more. And if you're in Massachusetts, get ready because FanDuel is coming soon. Make sure you check out FanDuel.com slash Mass and take advantage of their great pre-live offers. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 and over and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 deposit required. Refund issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See full terms at fanduel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXTSTEP to 53342 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. 1-800-9-WITH-IT, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com, 1-877-770-STOP. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org, 1-800-327-5050 or visit www.mahelpline.org slash problemgambling, 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. 1-800-552-4700 or visit www.1800gambler.net. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. One thing we didn't really talk about is I just wonder about like psychologically as an organization kind of shedding James Weissman and really committing to, okay, this is what we are. We're not really worried about the future as much. We're solely focused on the present and maximizing this magical trio. And I don't know what Draymond's short-term future is going to be, but like right now this is, this is it. This is who we are. So, 
Yeah, they're scary. Okay, let's move on. Do you want to do the question? I, I I know we kind of like just tied questions there, but I can go or you want to go? What do you want to do? How do you want to do this? I'll just ask the question. Is Steven the question. Adams a real MVP, Peanut? <laughs> <laughs> we keep talking about these teams that like have some sort of upside, like by virtue of the fact they're playing like not quite as we imagine them in a theoretical playoff series. And I just wonder if like this anything about this Grizzly slide is relevant at all. Because they were like 31 and 15 when Adams got hurt. Um, the slide had like sort of started, I guess, and they lost two games. Like one was a one-point loss to the Lakers, the Shannon the Sharp game, and then there's a two-point loss to the Suns, like whatever. The offense just like it sucks without Adams. It has like they they can't get the offensive rebounds. They miss his screening a lot. Like this is not a team that plays like beautiful half-court basketball or anything. They rely on the stuff that he did. And I like so much of it is like you get in the paint and whether it's, I mean, jaw is the most obvious one, but it's a team full of guys who they take floaters. And a lot of the times they go in other times, it just draws the big away. And then Steedham Adams is the best offensive rebounder on planet earth. And he just puts it back in defensively. The numbers haven't been like that much worse, but I think that matters a lot too. Like he, it, Jaron Jackson has an easier time avoiding fouling out of games. If he's next to Steven Adams, not just playing five all the time, it unlocks him more as the, amazing help side defender that he is so like it's like i am not being 100 percent serious when i say is he the real mvp but in terms of value to the team like i just i think we have seen it like his absence has been very telling and i think it's funny that the grizzlies are sort of this i don't know like an internet joke now because jaw talks trash and like people think they're too cocky and dylan brooks dresses crazy and does wild things on the floor. Whereas like before the Adams injury, it was like, this was this like really just amazing story. Everybody was talking about how they actually, they weathered all these injuries and they stuck together while other teams were falling apart. And it turns out, yeah, they can weather injuries to John Morant. We saw that like more last season, this season, they can weather injuries. Jaron Jackson, we saw at the beginning of this year to Desmond Bain, who was out for a, a long time at the beginning of the year, but not Steven Adams, man. They, they, they cannot afford to not have him on the court. <laughs> So I'm looking at the numbers now that you bring this up since Steven Adams went out and their offense is terrible. Their net rating is about league average. They're still fourth in defensive rating, which is kind of what is just, you know, the backbone of them as a basketball team. What's really interesting about Adams, and I've thought about this ever since covering the Minnesota Timberwolves Grizzlies first round series last year and how, you know, Adam, they lose game one. And then Taylor Jenkins just kind of pulls Steven Adams out of the series because of Carl Anthony Towns and the way he just kind of discombobulates defenses with his ability to space as a five. And Steven Adams, in reporting this other story, I came across just all this stuff that this is kind of weird, but Steven Adams has like spent basically his entire offseason working on how to defend better up to touch, being able to move in space, not being a defensive liability in a series like that, being more comfortable on the perimeter defensively. And if you look at the numbers, the second spectrum numbers, like he's been great this year defensively in those spots, defending pick and rolls, like much better than he was last year. I'm not saying he's like switching out on guards and like 
being fun. but he's just like do you remember like tristan thompson back when the yeah. Cavs were amazing like Steven Adams kind of looks like that. Like he's just at the level and then he's able to recover and you don't really get anywhere with the way he moves sideline to sideline. So that's just really, really important. And in a playoff series, if he's not a played off the floor, they're just a completely different basketball team because I thought it was a mistake for Jenkins to take Adams out of that series as quickly as he did. He's like their entire identity in a lot of ways and how they just bully you. He just, there's no answer for him physically. And so that was just really, that's just an interesting little tidbit with Steven Adams that I've been kind of marinating on when I think about the Memphis Grizzlies and his value to them going forward. But yeah, Steven Adams, I don't know if he'll be on my MVP ballot. I can't say right now it's too soon. There's five spots, obviously. Uh, Damian Lillard's been playing tremendous basketball of late. Like that's a it's name close that's between of, those two though. Yeah. It's, those, those two have both been just tremendous um, and their value is <laughs> shown through. Okay. I have kind of a, I have a fun one that's going to make you, we, we did not share any of these questions with each other beforehand. And a question like this is really why, because I love springing stuff like this on you. Okay. Which of the following two teams are making the playoffs? Not the play-in, the playoffs. Mm -hmm. The Brooklyn Nets, the Miami Heat, the Atlanta Hawks, Toronto Raptors, and the Washington Wizards. Two of these five teams. You can only pick two of them. Making the playoffs. I need to pull up the standings to just see who is uh, in pole position here. Okay. So you had... All right. Did you include the Knicks? No, because I no. think the Knicks are, like, really good. Okay. All right. Should I have given I, you three teams, or did I mess up my math? I think I'm good with two... Maybe three. Do we need three? I'll give you three. Okay. I'll say... I'll say so. We're basically going the six, seven, eight spot. Yes, uh, yes. I'll say. I'll say. I actually like the way Toronto's playing with Pirtle. I think I'm, I'm going to put them in. I feel not confident at all based on how their season has gone. But I really, it's kind of like the Stephen Adams thing. Honestly, it's like they're just a completely different team with that dude. Just they, it's like very similar. How like what he does for them. Honestly, on both ends, their defense has been like crazy better. Like I think like no one in the NBA has maybe been as like important in terms of like an on off situation than, than Pirtle has, but then offensively, I mean, the screens he sets that changes Van Vliet's life. It changes like pretty much anyone who's running and pick and rolls life. Oh, and he- to- Toronto's I wrote a little bit about this in preparation for this exact question, but Toronto's mm-hmm. offensive rating with Pirtle and Fred Van Vliet on the court is one twenty point three. Yeah, of course. Since they made the trade. Like Van Vliet looks like a different of- player with him. Even the other night when he wasn't making any shots. Yeah. Like, no, it's, it's just, it's just- different. Yeah, he's just, uh, it's one of the better pick and, I mean, it's an actual pick and roll combination for a point guard who knows how to function as a pick and roll ball handler. So it's just a total game changer for him. Exactly. Um, So you're picking, you're putting Toronto and for the the record, Toronto is one of the teams that I also think is going to, to make the playoffs. Yeah, I'll put Toronto in. I, I have to put Miami in. I feel weird about it, but I just... It, like Jimmy in a play-in situation, like I'm not betting against that guy. Like I, 
they've had such a weird year. Love and Zeller like change them a little bit. Like they give them handoff hubs and stuff like that. I I feel weird about it, but I'm I'm gonna pick. Miami, and then I need to pick one more between what Brooklyn, Atlanta, and Washington. You know, this question was a lot sexier when I thought you could only pick two teams because I messed up. But we'll go with three is like actual reality, so yeah, that's perfectly fine. I can I just take Brooklyn, even though I feel horrible about it. Like I, I would feel way better about this Brooklyn team if there was more kind of of a runway for them to figure out who they are because yeah. they, I mean, they don't know what they're doing. They don't, <laughs> their defense should be way better. Like they have the personnel to be the best defensive team in the league. They're just not the, they're not kind of always on the same page in that respect. The offense often hurts their defense because the offense has been mostly bad. They, uh, they have a ton of spacing and shooting, but some games, like, they're just not really in much rhythm with their drive-and-kick game. They're not creating the kind of looks they want. And if they miss a couple of threes, it's like they don't have, like, it, it's an obvious thing to say because they just traded away two superstars. But, like, they don't have, like, the run-stopper guy. They don't have the guy that's, like, going to get to the line or get an easy two-point shot or, like, get something comfortable and just kind of keep games at, at bay. So, like, they often find themselves, at least so far, like, trying to come back from, like, a big deficit. Or a game that seems like they're right there and suddenly, oh, man, it's like there's just this run that's happening. But they built just enough of a cushion to where, like, what I'm basically betting on is that if they're in the play-in, by the time that the play-in is happening, which is like, you know, six weeks from now, month and a bit, that they will have figured out a rotation. They'll have figured out an identity and they'll be just more solid. And that will be enough to kind of get them past an Atlanta, a Washington, whomever that is. Like, I, I, I don't feel awesome about what I've seen so far. Like, I mean, frankly, they've just been worse than I thought they would be after, after the two trades. But I do see the outlines of a good team. A, a, an unconventional team, because they have to run, like... It has to be a system thing um, more than just a straight, like, conventional NBA offense. Like, I want them to kind of play like Bud's Atlanta Hawks did. And, like, that team had, like, a bunch of, like, really, really smart veterans who, like, established something really special together. And it's, like, completely unrealistic to, like, assume that a, a team put together midseason with a bunch of guys in their mid-20s are going to figure it out immediately. Um, but maybe another six weeks, they'll be closer. Like, I, I, I think the talent is there. You just... Yeah. And, you know, I wrote this story about Nick Claxton last week. And one of the first things he said to me when I sat down with him was like, we have the potential to be the best defense in the NBA, but we just need to gel first. And you're right. I don't know if they have enough time to do that this season. Offensively, I think role definition is a pretty big issue and they don't have enough ball handlers. Like, and when I say role definition, it's like, okay, Mikael Bridges goes from what he was his entire career in Phoenix playing next to Chris Paul and Devin Booker and DeAndre to now it's like, all right, you're either like, well, there are stretches where you're going to be the primary ball handler now. And what does that mean? And what does that look like for you? And you're playing with guys you've never really played before besides Cam Johnson. And like, you know, there's obviously the Ben Simmons thing that we don't have to get into, but when Nick Claxton sits, they play like 
Dorian Finney-Smith at the five. Like they're just so small for stretches, and or they play sharp at the five, and that's worse. And and I think Jack Vaughn does not want to do that. Yeah, exactly. So it's just a really tricky situation, and Joe Harris isn't who he used to be defensively. He's still like an awesome shooter. You know, moving Royce and Joe and those guys to the bench after the trade deadline, just like so suddenly, I think, I don't know, it kind of caught me off guard personally in the way they've stuck to it. Like, I love that lineup that they start games with. There's just not enough, like, offensive punch. And there's just clearly not enough, like, a lot of trust on either end when you watch them play. And that's totally understandable, but it's Mm -hmm. also necessary when you don't have, like, a clear all-star who's, like, the center of everything that you do. So... I can't pick them. I'm sorry. I, I, I like. I, I really want to because I love them and mm-hmm. I love what they stand for, and what they are right now. And I love all their like individual pieces. But like, I'll just say real quick, like, Quinn Snyder, baby, Atlanta Hawks, let's go. I'm You're in on this. <laughs> I'm all. No, I'm not all in. I can't be all in. I'm not. I can't be all in on the Clippers and the Hawks, or I'd just like go contest. <laughs> but like, I. I do think that that is something that I want to watch and it's he only he only coached one game so far, but even in that one game, you see the rotational changes that kind of defer from what Nate McMillan was doing, be it like small example, but Trey Young started the second quarter zero times until Quinn Snyder is the head coach. And all of a sudden he's coming out of the game in the middle of the first quarter, starting the second quarter, running a bench unit. DeJounte Murray and DeAndre Hunter played the entire first quarter in their, their, the first game with Quinn Snyder against the Wizards. Like Jalen Johnson didn't play or something. Like Jalen Johnson out yeah. of the rotation. Exactly. Yeah. Like there were a lot of games where Nate McMillan would play 10 guys in the first quarter. There's a lot of talented players on Atlanta. So you understand that. But after the game, Quinn Snyder's like, I'm not, it's really hard to do that. So like a nine man rotation, that's really solid going forward. I think would help this team. He played the starting five, like a lot more in that first game. Like, Collins, Capel, like stretching their minutes. I think that that is just kind of like... Starting five's been com- good. So Yeah, it's just like a common sense <laughs> adjustment for sure. And something interesting, and we're going off literally a one-game sample size, but mm-hmm. closing with Sadiq Bey over John Collins, I also thought was like interesting. I don't know if necessarily Nate McMillan would, would do that and kind of really value shooting and spacing and at the end of a game. I don't... I don't know. Not saying John Collins is a bad shooter, but Sadiq Bey is a better spot-up three-point shooter. So Collins has been a bad shooter this year. Yes, he has. So I got to go Hawks over Nets. I agree with you in the Heat. We don't have to spend too much time on them. Like, yeah, if they're in the play-in, which they should be, maybe they're the sixth seed anyway, but if be. they're in the play-in, yeah. If they're in the play-in, yeah, I'm not like Jimmy Butler. Sorry. He's like, what are we even talking about? He's just yeah. going to take like 20 shots and get to the line 17 times and they'll win. That's just what it is. But let's close on one question. Last question from you. Do you have another one, James? I think I only have one more. Awesome. Will the playoff Sixers be any different? Oh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> there's some low hanging fruit here. I feel like, uh-huh. you know, they're, they're slow as hell. They don't need to be. They're, the non-Embiid minutes is like the most obvious freaking thing in, in the NBA. Like, I kind of feel like 
if there's a solution, maybe there's not. The solution is probably just PJ Tucker is the backup five. He is always the backup five. And that that's it. And I maybe just that, like foul a little less for starters. Like you you guys foul a ton. The offensive rebounding, I don't know why that doesn't happen. Like this is a team that well, Doc starts. Rivers is the head coach and he doesn't well, believe yes. in offensive rebounding. But but in a playoff series, if you have a matchup you can exploit, maybe you say, hey, PJ Tucker, you're crashing every time. Hey, like Joel Embiid, like try to make an impact on on that end. Like I know they are afraid of like transition defense being bad, like, which is also I mean, that's been an issue for this team. And it's been an issue for like past teams that some of these same players have been on and all of that. But I just I wonder if the play if the playoffs will bring out that I mean it's kind of like what I was getting at earlier like there's there's a version of this Sixers story where they kind of transform themselves and some of the weaknesses that have just been kind of there um all year some of the stuff that has made them kind of frustrating is just like all right well it's playoff time so we're going to get serious and then they they disappear and like I don't know if that happens because I still think they just have some flaws that they can't really change with the roster, like just some defensive stuff when like Niang is on the court or when Harden and Maxi are on the court together, all of that stuff that we've been talking about from the beginning of the year. But I mean, they've just, they're such a powerful offensive team. They have been a good defensive team on the balance of the season, like a really good one. And there's this low hanging fruit that like, I just, sometimes when I watch them, I just, I imagine myself believing in this team because I don't know that I do, but I imagine myself believing in this team and I'm like, well, if they just do X, Y, and Z, like it could look a lot different. So maybe they should be in the like inner tier of championship contenders and all of that for for that reason. But I don't know. I kind of have them like just on the outside. Like a bunch of things would have to go right. Like they're. I don't know if this idealized version of them will actually come out in the playoffs or not. That's what I'm asking you. When you say a bunch of things have to go right, like the first thing that comes to mind for me is matchups. Yes. And that, that is like, it's just kind of hard for me to call a team inner circle contender when it's like, well, if you face the Celtics, you're not going to win. So you can't, (laughs) so like you can't be a contender, right? Just like, the matchup is so bad. They have never beaten the Celtics and beats never beaten the Celtics in a playoff series. And there's reason for that. And the, you know, I don't think that suddenly Jalen McDaniels is going to be the Jason Tatum stopper. Like, I don't know who's guarding Jalen Brown in that series. Like, I don't, there's just a lot of questions there. And I think there's a lot to like, Right now with Philly, I wrote about Harden this week. Harden fascinates me. Shooting mm-hmm. above 40% finally, or not finally, but like for the first time in his career. It's above 40% on over seven attempts per game. He leads the league in assists. And then there's all these there's all these really good, good things about his game. And the playmaking is just top tier elite. And some of the passes he makes on a nightly basis, like even in that loss against Dallas, just like threw a kick ahead to Embiid that was just like, like 50 feet in the air. Tom Mm -hmm. Brady would be jealous. Like it was so beautiful. So I love, I like love that part of what he's doing, but like, I also want to see 
okay, so when Embiid's on the bench, like the other thing you were saying about t- Tucker at the five, which is really important, you got to. I, I think you have to stagger Embiid and Harden in the playoffs. And even though Maxi like went off last night in lineups by himself and has done that for the past couple games, I don't trust that in a playoff series personally. Like I would, I need Embiid and Harden to be split up, and I need. Harden because when Harden's on the court, no matter what, their offense is like really good. Yeah. And I need Harden with Tucker at the five to like get buckets for me in those minutes when Embiid's on the bench. And that's how we're going to tread water and that's how we're going to survive. Like if we, you know, are shedding points on the other end, so be it. We probably would do that anyway, regardless if Paul Reed was on the court or definitely if Montrezl was on the court who played last night for some unknown reason. So, yeah, I think that there's definitely some like regular season to postseason stylistic adjustments that are obvious and that will have to happen. But I just think that their ceiling... I don't think it's like an indictment of Embiid at all. I think he's like... It's just he's amazing. He's unstoppable. It's just there's something about this team that I can't, and it might just be the competition. The competition just might be like competition's better. really good. Yeah. yeah, I just like I, that might be it. I do think the maxi thing that you brought up is actually one of the other sort of pieces of low hanging fruit. I think is like um, Daryl Morey when he was on the Rice to Ricky Sanchez was talking about those maxi units without Joel and Harden. He said one of the reasons they're doing that is like they know how good the guy is and they want to develop him, right? Like that that's part of the plan is like let him be the primary guy for some portions of every game. They don't care about that in the playoffs. So in my mind, I'm like, I, I just kind of assume that that won't be happening anymore. I don't know if that'll be the case. Like we've seen Doc play like five-man bench units in playoff games before, like in the past couple of years. So that, that could happen again. But... Do you think, I the, can think I, can against I, the Celtics, against the Bucks, like yeah. I don't anticipate that happening. Like that's usually a first round thing anyway. So that's one of the things I'm not that worried about it. Like I think they'll get the staggering part right. Like I at least have to hope that they will. The McDaniels thing, no. Like I don't expect him to be a Tatum stopper, but I do think one of the like subtle ways in which he might help is when Tucker is at the five. Like, McDaniels is a guy that, like, he is long enough and athletic enough that, you know, he can give him a little bit of, like, remember, like, Tucker at the five in in Houston. It's like, well, is he the five or is Covington the five? Because Covington's the guy that's blocking shots. Tucker's the Mm -hmm. guy that's, like, defending post-up players and stuff. Like, McDaniels kind of can function in a, a little bit of a similar way in that regard. Also, just, you know, like, another guy, like, they're just, again, like, they are a frustratingly slow team. Maxi is fast. McDaniel's is fast. He's athletic. He can get them buckets in transition. Like that's the sort of thing. Like you once like the playoffs hit, I think traditionally you you think about just the game slowing down because it becomes a possession game. I don't think it's quite that simple anymore. I think it's like possessions are more valuable. So you're looking for little edges anywhere you can. So one of the ways to try to like to change your game plan going into a playoff game or a playoff series, or even just like the, the, the best teams, it's like, well, at this part of the second quarter, when we know or we anticipate the other team's going to have this lineup in, we're going to put this lineup in and we're going to play fast as hell, or we're going to crash the glass every time. Or like, 
whatever it is. We're going to make their star player box this annoying guy out. And that's the sort of stuff that like you're probably not doing on a night-to-night basis during the regular season. But in the playoffs, it's like, hopefully, like from the Sixers' perspective, they can find some transition points. Hopefully, they can find some more second-chance points. Hopefully, these like little areas where they, they're kind of bad, they can be neutral or good or take advantage of certain matchup situations. I, I don't know how many like little advantages they have to poke at in a series against Boston, but I think... A series of them against Milwaukee, like that's interesting to me. Like that is something that I really think like there are like I feel I feel better about them against the Bucks than I do them against the Celtics. That's just because the Celtics are better, obviously. I will say real quick before we go, the Cleveland Cavaliers have the easiest schedule, softest schedule going forward. The Sixers have the second hardest schedule the rest of the season. And there's a four-game cushion there that the Sixers have at the third seed. But, like, that's just... You don't know who's going to be the one seed. (laughs) That's the problem. (laughs) Yeah, so that's, like, just an interesting little wrinkle there. Um, I wonder if there's going to be some... We'll see how, how close they are in the final few games of the season and who wants the four, who wants the three. That's just an interesting one. Um, Especially if like the heat are the six seed, do you want to face the heat in round one? If you're the Sixers, like I'm not, I'm sorry. Like I'm not just going to pick the Sixers against the heat in that matchup. I'm just not going to do it. Um, So really, I I mean, look, (laughs) the playoffs are different. I'm sorry. Like Jimmy Butler in the playoff series is just not, it's just it, they're just different. We saw what happened last year when those two teams went up against each other. Okay, I think we covered pretty much everything perfectly. James, thank you so much for joining me on this special episode. We had a lot of fun. And do you want to tell the people where they can find you? I just that's just a, you know, <laughs> common courtesy I'm giving to you as the host of the show. Sure. All my stuff is at cbssports.com in the NBA section, and I'm on Twitter at Outside the NBA. Thanks, James. Thanks, everyone. Uh, we'll catch you later. Hey.